back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you on this Monday, the 24th day of October. Hope you're all having a great day, great week. Much better than yours truly is, based on the tone you hear in my voice right now. Not in a pleasant mood today. Not in a cheerful mood today because of the disgrace that I got done watching last night. Because, you know, I, I think about a week ago at this time where I put off doing the podcast for a day with the hopes that, oh, the Yankees-Guardian series would be finished by Tuesday. And then there was the rain out Monday night that forced my hand in having to record the podcast before the culmination of that series. I almost wish now that, that that the Yankees season would have been ended by the Guardians in Game 5 last week. That Nestor Cortez did not have you know, a very good performance and they didn't have the timely hits that they got in the game to advance them to the ALCS because... That ALCS took years off of our lives, took moments away from our lives that, quite frankly, we will never get back. That was an outright embarrassment and a disgrace to watch from the New York Yankees. And, you know, I try to always be optimistic Yankee fan while being realistic the optimistic fan in me was excited coming into the ALCS because you said to yourself all right you're four wins away from getting back to the World Series a place that this franchise has not been in a long time based on their standards but the pessimistic side of me the realistic side of me looks across the field and sees what they are facing. And that is a demon that they just seemingly can't overcome. A demon that has haunted them for eight years now, going back to the 2015 AL wildcard game, that being the Houston Astros. And while over time, names and faces on that team have changed over time. You know, you have a different manager now compared to back then with AJ Hench 
being the manager, now being Dusty Baker. It's the same old story when it comes to the Yankees against the Astros. They seemingly cannot get past them. The Astros have had their way with the Yankees in every way possible. Because the Astros are built differently than the Yankees. Sure, Mike, like most of Major League Baseball, they do um, rely on analytics a lot. They are heavily into it, like most successful organizations. But they don't treat it like the Bible, like the New York Yankees. And that's why we're in this rinse-repeat mode when it comes to the Yankees against not just the Astros in the postseason, but when it comes to the Yankees in the postseason in general. Their offense is embarrassing. Their offense, you know, quite frankly, if you had this offense during 162 games in a regular season, the way they played in the postseason, they'd lose 100 games. Because they can get away with being this style of offense during 162-game regular season. There's a lot of bad teams. There's a lot of bottom dwellers in the sport. Even though the, the American League was deeper than the National League this year, there's a lot of teams that you can still have your way against. Even you know the mediocre teams you can do this against. But living with this style of offense where you're reliant so heavily on the home run is not going to get you past other World Series contenders. It's not going to get you past teams like the Astros who can run out there high-end starting pitching. And you look at this series, in the Yankees had chances in the first two games especially. The problem is they'd get a run on the board against Verlander, would not capitalize, would not get to him while he was struggling early on. And they would get a couple of runs against Valdez, but that was only because the Astros decided to start throwing the baseball around the ballpark. Outside of you know Harrison Bader and Anthony Rizzo, they had no offense to speak of in games one or two. The, the, both of those games were very winnable, but the Yankees' approach at the plate was still of a regular season mindset and not taking advantage of when they had a starter struggling, such as Verlander in the first couple of innings of game one. And you walk away from that, those two games, you know, just annoyed, bothered, especially with them striking out 17 times in, in game one. But you shouldn't be surprised by that because if this team's not hitting home runs, that's what they're doing, striking out a ton. They don't know how to change their approach at the plate. And that could have helped them on Saturday when they had a million, a million hitters chances against uh, Christian Javier. It seemed like it was 3-1-2-0 for the Yankees hitters all night long. And you can't even, you know, you can't even blame that game 
on uh, Garrett Cole. You blame it on this uh, anemic offense. You know, Cole Cole should have been dealt a better hand on Saturday. You know, while his line does not read uh, the most exciting line in the world for an ace in the postseason. I mean, no one's going to get excited over uh, five innings, five runs, three of them earned. You had, you know, Bader and Judge's lack of communication before a uh, a home run given up there. You, then you had the nonsense that went on in the sixth inning. And also, I know Garrett Cole was at 95 pitches. But I'm giving my ace a chance to fight through a bases-loaded nobody-out champ. Or at the very least, if I'm pulling him, I'm pulling him for one of my A relievers. I'm pulling him for, you know, Clay Holmes or their best reliever in this postseason, Jonathan Luizaga. Or, you know, I know Peralta had pitched a lot. But I'm pulling him for one of those guys. I'm not pulling him for Lou Trevino, who the outcome was to be expected there. You didn't think he was going to pull a Mike Messina from 2003 and get out of a bases-loaded jam without giving a run. I'm giving myself in a game that, you know, you had to win because another season wouldn't have been over losing game three, but you at least put a little bit of doubt in the Astros' mind. Instead, you lose a game in which, you know, Trevino can't come through and... You have all of three hits in total, two of them in the the ninth inning. After that, you knew it was only a matter of time. You knew at some point, no, this team did not have the feel of a team that could pull off an 0-4 Red Sox, did not have the feel of a team that could give you any hope. It was just a matter of how. They were going to die this painful death. Was it going to happen at Yankee Stadium or were they going to tease you and take it back to Minute Maid? And for a while last night, they teased you. For a while last night, you thought, oh, maybe there's going to be some fight in the Yankees. But then, you know, whatever was going on with Nestor Cortez, whether it was an injury or something, you know, they're, they're making up as a reason to get him out of the game. He gives up a... Home run to Jeremy Pena, who I don't think many, as great as Carlos uh, Correa is, I don't think many uh, Astro fans are really missing him right now with the way this kid is playing. And even after the Yankees kept battling back, you get the home run by Bader. It, It was only a matter of time because this Yankee team could not put together any sustained offense here. I mean, you look at this lineup in this series. They batted a combined 162. I mean, it was all the way around. You look at Judge after what was a historic season was a failure in not just this series, but this postseason. Stanton, you had... The occasional moment from, but didn't get much from. Josh Donaldson might as well have not shown up at home plate. He was that bad. And then you're getting nothing out of the bottom of the order. Whereas with Houston, you're looking at them for the first three games. You kept the top of their order, their top guys in check. Altuve didn't have a hit until 
game three. You didn't get much outside of the home run from Bregman in game two. He wasn't doing much. And you were keeping Jordan Alvarez in check. But the bottom of the order guys for Houston, they were getting the job done. Whereas the Yankees, they see the, the problem with the Yankees here is not just the offense in general. It's the fact that you're going into every single game questioning what is going to be the lineup on this given night. Who's going to bat lead off? Who's playing shortstop? You don't have those questions asked when it comes to the Astros. Maybe they make a change at the catcher position just uh, based on the starting pitcher and what catcher or pitcher gel best together. But other than that, they're running out there pretty much the same lineup. But every night, it's, oh, one night we'll try Bader at leadoff. Another night we'll try Rizzo. We can't have Judge batting leadoff. Oh, maybe we'll try Glaber Torres. Or at shortstop, it's one night it's IKF. Another night it's uh, Cabrera. Another night it's Peraza. There's so much moving around, so much going on with this team that you know this fate, this end result quite frankly, should not be a surprise to anyone. Should not be, you know, something that we're sitting here in in stunned disbelief. I mean, I came into this series not feeling great about playing the Astros, but I didn't think they would get swept. But it's just the cherry on top for what was an embarrassing series and an embarrassing second half of this year for this team because, you know, you look at it, they got off to such a remarkable start, such a fun start, a start that you thought, oh my God, they're going to challenge the 98 Yankees with the way that they're playing. You know, 38 games over 500 through their first uh, 84 games of this season. And then the rest of the way, they began to struggle, whether it was through injuries in the lineup or injuries in the bullpen, uh, guys just completely falling off the planet. I and mean, Glaber Torres disappeared there for most of the summer. And Judge having to essentially carry this team on his back. And listen, I know he had an awful postseason. It's not something you want to see from a guy who in all likelihood is going to win the American League MVP when all is said and done. But he won't make the excuse, but I'll, I guess I'll make it for him. You got to imagine some of what he's been through the last month and a half took some air out of the tire, kind of deflated him, you know, wore him out. And he went through, you know, a three-week stretch there where every camera around America was on him trying to break this record. You had ESPN cutting in from college football games just to see his at-batch. Umpires changing baseballs before every one of his at-bats. Him getting out of... The routine he had for the first five months, because now he, rather than batting second, he's batting leadoff. At times, you know, he's getting pitched around and leading the American League in walks in the month of September. 
now for the last two weeks, he he he's struck him by the fact that, oh, guys are actually pitching to me. Guys are actually throwing me a fastball, something he had not been used to. Yeah, he's got to perform. He's got to do better in that. But at the same time, he needs others to step up around him. And this offense all in told was an embarrassment. Like I said a few minutes ago, they pitched well enough outside of you know, last night to make this a series, to make this where we're sitting here preparing for a game five tonight, wondering if the Yankees were going to go back to Houston down 3-2 or up 3-2. But this offense just never came through. And you know, maybe what's happened here isn't the worst thing in the world. As disappointed, angry, pissed off as I am, and I know uh, most Yankee fans I know are, because maybe this finally forces their hand in making changes. Changes that they've needed to make for a couple of years now. Changes to their philosophy. Changes to their approach in team building. Stop with this idea of, oh, let's be the smartest guy in the room. Because everyone in baseball, to a certain extent, uses analytics. But no one treats it like it is the gospel, like it is the Bible, like it is the only way, such as the way that the Yankees do. And there's no the if they're ever gonna get back to being you know a championship level team, because that's what the the thing here is. They they make the playoffs almost every single year, with the ex- exception of Three years since their last uh, world championship in 09, they've been in the playoffs every single year. Those teams um, were lucky to be uh, teams with winning records, but they've been in the mix for the postseason every single year and made it all but three times. But the standard here is different. The standard, and this isn't a standard set by the fan base. This is a standard set by the Yankees themselves, set by you know general manager Brian Cashman, set by owner Hal Steinbrenner, although I question at times how committed he truly is to them winning a championship over you know what the bottom line is financially for this team. Because they they roll in a whole lot of dough and listen, they spend money. They have the third highest payroll in the sport. But they don't spend it the correct way. You know, too many of these, oh, let's be so cute. Let's give Aaron Hicks a seven-year contract. How's that worked out? Or we'll bring on the $50 million remaining in Josh Donaldson's contract to trade for Isaiah Kanafalefa, who won the gold glove last year, but as a third baseman. And they kept trying to tell us all year long that, oh, Defensively, he's one of the best shortstops in the sport. Clearly, they're not watching the games and seeing what anyone with two working eyes can see. It's, you know, something's got to change here. And there's one change that's got to be made. And I'll get to it as we go along here. I'll save that for a little bit later. Let myself calm down. Let myself tone things down a little bit here because 
Got a lot to talk about today. A lot want to get to. A lot went on in week eight or week seven, excuse me, in the NFL, including a trade. Now you're seeing some of the the older quarterbacks go through some struggles now. Some teams in this area continuing to win in not the prettiest of fashions. The NBA season got started. Touch on a couple of our favorite teams to talk about here. And by the end of uh, the podcast, I will get back to the Yankees and look at what needs to change. So a lot to get to through the next about 40 minutes or so here, 45 minutes, give or take. Glad you could tune in this week, whether you're watching the live podcast version or you're listening to it later because you don't feel like seeing my face. So like I tell you each and every single week at this time, please sit back, relax, help, put your feet up on the table if there's one in front of you and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. It was good to finally see a somewhat, and I say somewhat very loosely, competitive, exciting, entertaining game on Thursday Night Football this past week. The last two weeks had been total dreads, and the NFL and Amazon Prime, if they had any conscious, any heart, deserved to give us our money back for the crap that we had seen the previous two weeks, but uh, the Cardinals and the Saints actually decided to play a little bit of offense, and you know this game got a little bit competitive there in the, the fourth quarter, even when the, the Cardinals came into it up by 18, and that's mostly because for some reason Cliff Kingsbury decided that it would be a smart idea to just have Kyler Murray start throwing the, the ball around rather than... Uh, running the football and trying to drain as much time out of the clock as possible, especially when you, you've got this kid, Benjamin, who's uh, running at about seven yards uh, per carry. Meanwhile, on the other side, you got Andy Dalton just haphazardly throwing uh, the ball around, get, getting picked off twice in uh, the second quarter and know doing very much Andy Dalton like things in prime time and you know Andy Dalton's a lot like Kirk Cousins so a little less uh uh arm talent than Kirk Cousins but one o'clock in the afternoon all right quality quarterback you give you some moments give you some spots where you're like wow maybe this is something I can believe in then you stick them anything past one o'clock with four four oh five four twenty prime time game hell somehow in, in a postseason game, Ugh, ugly as can be. But you know the, the main story coming out of that game isn't even anything that happened within the, the boundaries of the football field. It was you know, what was going on in the sideline there in the second quarter, the shouting matchup between Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, where I don't know exactly what Cliff Kingsbury was saying to Kyler at the time, but Kyler, you read his lips saying, calm the F down, we'll be fine, and really 
getting heated to the point where DeAndre Hopkins uh, had to be the voice of reason and to hold his teammate back from getting an even worse shouting matchup with the head coach. And, you know, listen, I don't have a problem with players having passion, yelling at, at a coach. This, this is their livelihood. I mean, we saw it uh, work with the Jets about a month ago when Quinn Williams was yelling at the defensive line coach on the sidelines. And then uh, last week, of course, there was Tom Brady yelling at his offensive line on uh, the bench. But both of these guys, quite frankly, come off as out of line. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, A, it, it feels like the only reason he has a job is a lot of the same reason Aaron Boone ha- has a job with the Yankees is he can be just the company man, the puppet that takes uh, the slings and arrows from general manager Steve Klein in, and protects him so that he's not getting the brute force of what uh, the media is throwing at them. But then you also got Kyler Murray, who we know he's an incredibly talented athlete. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback in the world. If, no, I went through a list of, of this uh, last week, you know, a personal list, and if I were ranking quarterbacks, I got him as about the 13th or 14th best quarterback in the sport uh, right now if you were doing a draft today. But there's a reason why that the – Cardinals originally put a independent studies clause in his contract and were worried so much about giving him a contract extension because he's a little bit immature. He doesn't take well to criticism and is too quick to point the finger at somebody else when, as the old saying goes, you point one finger at others, you got three pointing right back at you. So, all the way around, it, I didn't think it was a good uh, sight for the Cardinals. I, it wasn't something that, if I'm a Cardinal fan, would have me too jacked up or too excited over. But, no, that's just me. Late that night, though, if you were a fan of the 49ers, you had something to get jacked up, get excited about. And that was the trade of Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers to the San Francisco 49ers for four draft picks between next year and the following year's draft. And what it's going to do now for the Niners is really expand their offense. Uh, Now you won't have to use Debo Samuel as much taking the brute force as a, you know, wide back as I've referred to him. Now you have one of the best running backs in the sport when he's healthy, although that has been the big question with Christian McCaffrey over the last two years is his health, is his availability. Did not work so well for the Niners in his first game yesterday going up against the Kansas City Chiefs because every, every time the Chiefs lose, everyone's so quick to either bury the Chiefs or wonder, oh, what's wrong with the Chiefs? And then they have these bounce-back games. It's like, all right, no problem. And especially when, you know, 
you're the Niners, you get off to a great start against the Chiefs, that's when you should be most concerned. Because you have the body down on the ground, you got to make sure they're dead. You got to make sure they have no pulse whatsoever. And as Patrick Mahomes has shown several times in his career, being down double digits is no big deal for the Kansas City Chiefs. Hell, that's probably when they start to play their best football. Not ideal, but starts to wake them up, starts to give them an idea of, hey, we got to get our focus back in this game. And when they're focused, they're as deadly and incredible an offense as there is in the sport. And you can't just, as we saw with the Niners yesterday, you can't just continue to settle for field goals against them. If that means taking chances and go for it, going for it on fourth down, that's what you got to do. I know you don't have a quarterback in Garoppolo who's good, but he's not someone that is going to uh, rip people up down the field. Is not someone that is going to have big chunk plays down the field, but you've got to take advantage of every good field position that you have against the Chiefs, and you can't just continue to settle for field goals because they're not going to do that. We saw it yesterday. You know, their first however many drives of the game, they're scoring touchdowns. They're coming down the field and scoring touchdowns, whereas you're settling for field goals. And, and I looked at yesterday, and there were two teams I came away from yesterday. And with the Bills having off, there were two teams I came away from yesterday and saying, and with the Eagles being off as well, and saying, oh, they can win the Super Bowl. It would not surprise me. One being the Chiefs, the other one being the Bengals, who scored on their first two drives of the game. And if they didn't uh, take their foot off the gas uh, in uh, the second half, they probably would have put up 60 points yesterday against uh, the Falcons, and you would have seen uh, uh, Boyd and Chase each go for over 200 yards because they were doing seemingly whatever they wanted. But you look at some of uh, these other teams that we thought were contenders, that we thought, oh, they can win a Super Bowl uh, this year. Look at the Ravens, I'm like, no. Because I don't trust their defense. Yesterday, they survived the Cleveland Browns. They survived the fact that the Browns were making costly turnovers in the second half with Brissett's fumble early there in the third quarter that set up a short field position for Gus Edwards to put them up by 10. And then even when the Browns worked their way back in this game, they couldn't complete the comeback because they start with making a boneheaded uh, false start penalty with about two minutes to go there. Putting Cade York in a position where he's got to kick a 60-yard field goal uh, just to tie the game and hope for overtime. Didn't come anywhere close to the goalposts. Not sure if he yanked it or if it got blocked, but the Ravens were able to escape because they're going up against a team that can't run extended drives. They, you know, if if Nick Chubb is not completely carrying the way for the Browns, the Browns have a, a non-existent, non-exciting, non 
know, fearful offense that you're going up against. And, you know, the Ravens, you look at them, they're one of the worst teams in the fourth quarter this year. I, I mean, it's incredible. With a great head coach in John Harbaugh and a quarterback that is trying to get paid, a quarterback that's won MVPs and that we have such high hopes and expectations for in Lamar Jackson, you would think that they would be better than the, the way they are in the fourth quarter. But they have not outscored one opponent at all in fourth quarters this year. And that's why we've seen some of the choke jobs that they've had, whether it was against the Bills or even worse, against the Miami Dolphins uh, weeks ago. But even as you know, disconcerting as what uh, they did was yesterday, I don't know how anyone could watch either the Packers or the Buccaneers and have any faith, any thoughts that, oh, this is a championship contender. Because, you know, right now I look at the NFC and I don't know who's that second team right now. Yeah, they, well, I've said that the Eagles don't blow everyone away with talent are not the most overwhelmingly talented team in the NFC. All of their parts fit what they're trying to do. They have an identity. I don't know what the identity is of both the Packers and the Buccaneers. Because you look at the Packers, the Packers, they sit there and they act like Devontae Adams is still on that team. And as I had to break the news to them last week, he plays for the Raiders now. He's not coming back. They don't realize that they got to get the ball out quick. They can't just have Rodgers continuously sitting back there in shotgun and waiting for someone to go deep down the field because, A, they don't have the kind of wide receivers that stretch the field. B, his best offense actually is is dumping the uh, football off to his running backs and letting them uh, make a play these days. Those are actually their best receivers on that team. And he's facing so much pressure up the middle because they don't have a strong offensive line. That's why they were not able to string long drives together yesterday. He's got guys up in his face all day long. And even when they capitalize on an early mistake by uh, Taylor Heineke, who quite frankly should remain the commander's quarterback for the rest of the year. I mean, I don't, I know he's not the greatest quarterback in the world, but every time they give him a chance, he seems to do well and seems to have the backing of that entire locker room. But you know, Rogers, you now he, I don't blame him for looking around, looking over at Michael Floor uh, on the sidelines, being like, "What are we doing? What is going on here?" Because Michael Floor has not adjusted his offense to life after. Devontae Adams. He has not adjusted his offense to the fact that they should be about their ground game and then Rodgers picking his spots with a group of wide receivers that, quite frankly, has no secondary afraid. And the, the, the thing that you know works in their favor is being in the NFC North and 
and you hope that the Vikings come back to everyone and that Kirk Cousins has one of his uh, midseason meltdowns. But this Packers team is drawing no inspiration right now. Same goes for the Buccaneers who have now uh, lost four out of their last five. And you look at the, the Bucks. They're playing a team in the Carolina Panthers yesterday who, let's face it, the, the goal of their front office now is to get the top pick in next year's draft. To get whichever one of these quarterbacks in college right now is the apple of their eye. The quarterback that they view is their long-term hopeful answer at that position. Because they've ran through four quarterbacks this year and none of them are the answer. But in the last two weeks, we've seen them trade away what they thought were going to be significant pieces on their offense. Last Monday, trading away Robbie Anderson. Last Thursday, trading away Christian McCaffrey. Going in a full, no, as I said, a tank mode. And instead, Devontae Freeman goes out there and runs all over the Buccaneers all game long. And the Bucs, no, they look... They look old, they look slow, they look unathletic. Because, you know, every year a team or teams that have the intention of winning, have the intention of going a long way, you've got to change something up. You've got to, you know, whether it's subtle changes, whether it's, you know, drastic changes, you've got to make changes at least for the change sake of change sake. You can't keep going with the same group forever. Well, it seems like they are married to the 2020-2021 Super Bowl team for the rest of Tom Brady's existence. Because outside of Rob Gronkowski, what real change has there been on this team? You got the same running backs got the same group of wide receivers. Out with Gronk gone, it's still the same uh, core group of tight ends. The only real difference on this offense is that you've got, had guys in and out, banged up all year on this offensive line. And you have a head coach who, while he's a great guy, does a great job coaching up a defense. He's not going to be the type that screams and hollers in people's faces. Todd Bowles is as passive-aggressive a person or as a personality as you're ever going to find in the NFL. And uh, it can't just be Tom Brady getting mad, getting angry uh, about this. Losing 21-3 to the Panthers is outright unacceptable. So between the Buccaneers losing four of their last five, the the Packers losing three in a row now, I don't know how you have faith in anybody in the NFC. I mean, people don't seem to believe in either the Vikings or the Giants. The Cowboys have a Super Bowl 
quality defense, but offensively, it it doesn't seem like week to week they know what their real identity is. It's truly going to be whoever survives the dogfight of the AFC uh, postseason is going to be sitting there waiting for the Eagles in the Super Bowl unless things change drastically. I don't know how you can see it any other way but that. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side. Going to get to those local teams who are not winning in the prettiest of fashions, but still getting W's on the board, even while making me aggravated at the same time. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. saw two returns in the NFL yesterday with both the Dolphins and the Cowboys getting their quarterbacks, Tua Tagovailoa and Dak Prescott, back from injury. One I was a little bit more surprised to see than the other. Now, Dak... I'm not surprised he's back before my projected timeline of Halloween. Just uh, based on all the reports we've been seeing in recent weeks, especially when there was some thought that he might even play last week against the Eagles. Once Cooper Rush turned the football over three times, you, you figured that, hey, quarterback controversy is over and it's uh, time to get Dak Prescott back out there. And while the offense didn't do anything that excites you, uh, has you jumping for joy, you you figured that Dak was going to be looking a little bit rusty in his first game back. That was the right game to bring him back against, against the Detroit Lions, who have seemingly fallen apart offensively since uh, the first three weeks of the season. And... Their defense was able to take advantage of a Lions offense that can't get out of their own way, especially with Jerk Goff turning the football over four times. And Dak is coming back here at the right time of their schedule because between this and next week against the Bears, those are the perfect opponents to shake the rust off of. You know that at some point you got to face the Eagles and the Giants again. So you want to be at your absolute best, back to full game speed by the time you face those opponents. I'm a little bit surprised that Tua's already back because I assumed that we might not see him until November. I assumed that they were going to hold him out as long as possible. And I'm hopeful for his sake that he's not back already just because they've lost a couple of games in a row here. And that it's, you know, they felt 100% comfortable with how he looked and how he felt. Now, for the rest of the year, there's going to be that concern with uh, Tua, you know, the fact that, oh, he had 
what many believe were two concussions in such a short time period, you worry about him getting concussed again, especially with how he's uh, not changing up his style of play. I mean, you saw one point last night where rather than slide, he's running and lowers the shoulder head on getting a collision. And I'm looking at him like, God, I hope he gets up. Please do not have this be a repeat of what we've seen multiple times in uh, the last month. But uh, they took advantage of a Steelers team that, quite frankly, right now is offensively challenged. And a Steelers team that, no, it's going to be a challenge for them keeping up Mike Tomlin's consecutive season streak of uh, winning seasons. Especially if you got Kenny Pickett throwing uh, interceptions in the red zone late in the game as he was there. But, you know, both the Cowboys and the Dolphins had to hold serve yesterday. Especially with the first place teams in their division both having buys. And the second place teams in their division continuing to win games. That being both our New York Jets and the New York Giants who, you know, I, I watch the Gi- I'll say this every week. You know, there's nothing that over the top impresses me about the Giants offensively because you know, I go through their depth chart every week. I still don't know who these people are that are playing wide receiver for them. Outside of Slayton, it's like, who? You know, it seems like the names change each and every single week when you watch the Giants play. But somehow, some way, Brian Dayball has devised a game plan that not just gets the best out of Saquon Barkley, but exudes the positives and the good attributes of Daniel Jones gets those on the field as much as possible. I mean, You look at Jones yesterday becoming the first quarterback in Giants history to not just throw for, but run for 100 yards in one game. I mean, that's how they won yesterday. Won the game on the ground, and the fact that their defense, once it got to 17, they looked at the Jaguars and said, enough, you're not scoring against us again. You are not getting in the end zone. We're not letting you kick another field goal against us. We're giving our guys a chance to come back in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that's what they've been for a majority of this year. Where you go into the fourth quarter and it doesn't matter what deficit they're facing. They're close enough in these games where they're able to work their way back and win in the final couple of minutes. Now, it was a nail-biter. You did have to make a big stop there at the goal line as the clock hit triple zero. But the most important thing at the end of the day is the Giants came away with the win. And, hey, they've got a chance to continue the good vibes going here. I know... It's going to be a difficult challenge going across uh, the uh, to the West Coast, uh, making as far a trip as you've got to make uh, in the NFL, going from uh, 
uh, the tri-state area up to Seattle. And the Seahawks have surprised a lot of people and played well, coming away with a win against the Chargers uh, yesterday. But I don't expect you know the Geno Smith and the company to you know slap on another thirty-seven piece like they uh, did yesterday. And if you can contain uh, Kenneth Walker from having uh, another uh, big day and try to force Geno into being the reason to beat you, especially at a time where it doesn't doesn't feel like uh, DK Metcalf has really been that big a part or that big a piece of uh, this offense. Just protect the football, control the ground game, and the Giants have a really good chance to be sitting here one week from now at 7-1. and Now, our New York Jets, now winning four in a row, I'm sitting here, I'm continuing to pinch myself. I I never saw this coming. I never saw you know a four-game winning streak coming here. They're, they've gotten some good breaks in their way, not having to face Tua uh, with the Dolphins, having unsurety at the quarterback position with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then yesterday, even though he has not played great um, so far this season, Russell Wilson is still miles ahead of whatever Brett uh, Rippett ever could uh, dream of being. Now, a healthy Russell Wilson, you might have actually had a competitive offense from uh, the Denver Broncos yesterday. And uh, you watch this game. This is a game that, even though the Jets won, there's nothing you come away from this game saying, oh, I'm inspired by that. I believe in the Jets as a playoff contender because you had injuries all across the board with um, Eliza Vera Tucker uh, leaving due to a, an injury early in the first half. Then Corey Davis was out of the game. Mostly the young wide receivers were out there, though I'll get to that in a minute. And then you lose a uh, Brees Hall to a knee injury that could be a season-ending ACL injury in the second quarter. And you're thinking, oh, great. Even when things are going well for the New York Jets, we can't have nice things. But this defense outshined the Denver Broncos defense yesterday that people were rightfully so hyping up, rightfully so giving a lot of credit for keeping Denver in every game. You know, the Jets' defense put enough pressure on Brett Rippon to make mistakes late in the game. And his biggest mistake, you know, he was good when he kept things to short yardage, little dump-offs to the tight end or the running back. It was when he decided to go deep that he looked like he was over his head and had no idea what was going on. Should have been picked off a couple of times late in this uh, game whether it by, be by Whitehead or clearly he's not gotten the memo that's quickly being passed around in the NFL, and that is don't challenge Sauce Gardner down the field. It's not going to work out well for you, all right? 
Your guy is covered in sauce. Whatever other sauce puns you want to use, they're all waiting, ready to be used. Because Sauce Gardner is looking like an emerging star. Looking like the Jets finally found themselves that lockdown corner that we've been waiting for since the days of Darrell Rivas. So, while it wasn't exciting, wasn't truly eventful outside of one long touchdown run by Brace Hall, who you hope for the best, but not feeling confident that we're going to see him again this year. You take the win, you move on, and you hope you can continue the good vibes next Sunday against the Patriots. And we'll see if Eliza Moore decides he wants to join us for that game. I got to tell you, this outright, and I don't use this term a lot on here. This outright pissed me off on Thursday when I saw this report. That Elijah Moore, I had not been following him on Twitter. I had not been seeing some of the, the stuff that he's posting, some of these cryptic comments, especially in the last couple of games where he's not been targeted a lot. Last week in Green Bay, he wasn't targeted at all. But the goal of him to go in on Thursday and request a trade because he's not getting targeted? Are you out of your damn mind? Who the hell are you? You've been in this league for a little over a year now. Because of some injuries, you've only played 17 games in the NFL. And because you're not getting targeted a lot, you're going to ask for a trade? You know, it's one thing if, say... Corey Davis, who's not a star wide receiver, but has some skin in the game, has been a veteran, been around for more than a minute. Let's say instead of 5-2 and two right now, the Jets were 2-5 and five or 1-6. and six, And he went into either Robert Sala's office or into the front office and uh, said, hey, I'd like to be traded. You don't like hearing that, but okay, that's one thing. You know, a veteran who's looking to go to a you know better situation than a rebuilding team. Fine. But the Jets are actually winning games. They've already won more games than they've won all of last year. Hell, I think they've won more games in the month of October. Yeah, they've won more games in the month of October than the Yankees won. And this guy is going to have the nerve to ask for a trade at a time when the team's actually playing well? Newsflash, they're winning these games because they have had a really good ground game with these two young running backs, and their defense is playing out of their damn minds. And it's not like Zach is tearing things up, throwing for 300 yards every week. He's still playing like it's his preseason. Hell, there's still been times in the last couple of weeks he's made some mistakes. But it's not like you're seeing Garrett Wilson or Corey Davis tear things up down the field. Now, I don't blame the Jets for sending this kid home and not bringing him with them to Denver. They didn't need this negative vibe at a time when they're winning games. And in a way... I like the fact that this has united this team. This roster, they're pissed off. They're mad. They're, 
And I don't blame them. Who the hell is this guy to be demanding anything at a time like this when he has not done a lot in this league? He, we've seen glimpses. We've seen times where it's like, all right, there's something there. But for the most part, who in the world is Elijah Moore to be asking for or requesting a trade from anybody? I mean, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have handled this the right way in the last, what, four or five days. But inside, they have got to be fuming. Fuming and as angry, bothered, pissed off as all of us fans are by the nerve and the, the unmitigative gall of this kid to try and kill the good vibe of this team because he's too immature and too selfish to realize what is really going on here. All right, going to take final break of the podcast, come back and turn our attention back to baseball. Because like I said before with the Yankees, there are some things that need to change. Continue keeping it sports with M. I'll be back. With all the excitement going on between us being in week seven, now going into week eight of the NFL season, the Major League Baseball postseason, heading toward the World Series, you almost forget what went down last week. The start of the NBA season. Almost this sports smorgasbord. Now, I talk about it a lot, how... October and March are the best two times in the sports calendar because it's the only time where you have three of the sports really colliding at the same time. You know, the most important times with uh, the midst of the NFL season, uh, the MLB postseason, and then the start for both the NBA and the NHL. And I'll get into the NBA in more in depth in the coming weeks as baseball uh, begins to, you know, fade into the off season. But of course, the the things I've paid attention to this first week, you have the two local teams in the Knicks and the Nets, both off to one and one starts, and opening night was not great for either, although the Knicks in a loss, while you don't want to take away, take moral victories, did look pretty good. There were signs of things you like. Cam Reddish coming off the bench um, with a couple big three-pointers. Uh, Julius Randle not acting like a big baby and having a big night uh, on a night where R.J. Barrett is not shooting well. His first night as a well-paid man. You know, they were not really able to calm down John ja Morant uh, that much. And, you know, maybe if you got something more out of R.J. Barrett, they could have uh, pulled off the upset in Memphis. But we're able to back it up uh, a good performance in Memphis with winning their home opener against the Detroit Pistons. And 
like you like the feel and vibe of this Knicks team because they're not relying on any over the hill veterans this year. There's no Kemba Walker. Uh, Derek Rose is kind of a bit piece on this team. They're not viewing him as the savior uh, that they had been uh, poorly viewing him as the last couple of years. The question, though, is going to become when it comes to the rotation, when uh, Grimes is ready to play, what does that do to the roles of Cam Reddish? Uh, Are they going to still be giving the amount of minutes that they uh, gave quickly off the the bench the other day? Because as we know, Tom Thibodeau runs a short rotation during the regular season. He's not one of these coaches that does a, a 11, 12 man rotation. He usually keeps it at about his eight or nine premier guys. And at sometimes that does come back to bite a team because you get so gassed during the regular season, especially with the style that he tries to play that by the end of the year, you're running on fumes. So we'll see if he, changes things up a little bit, just a little bit. Now, as for the Nets, the you know the, they're going to be a story all year long, and mainly because of one person, not because of Kevin Durant, because, you know, if he's healthy, he, he's going to bring it. Kyrie Irving, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be on his best behavior because he's trying to get his big contract. The question's going to become Ben Simmons and how they handle this situation, because... Quite frankly, opening night was an embarrassment for him. He, I think his, in total, he was like a minus 26 while he was on the court. And he eventually fouled out. You would have thought you would see a little bit more excitement, joy for the game, a little more enthusiasm and aggressiveness from a guy that has not played basketball in about a year and a half. But quite frankly, these first two games, it's looked like the Ben Simmons that we saw when we last saw him in Philadelphia, where he's very passive-aggressive, and at the end of the game, he's talking to the media, feeling his own hype, acting like it was a different game than we all witnessed out there. But both the Knicks and the Nets, at least they've won a game so far. The Lakers... Now, the Lakers, this could be a problem all year long for the Lakers. I'm, I'm not saying they're already saying after three games, let's hit the panic button and that they're going to have another losing season. But 0-3 is not a, a good way to begin when you have so much change on this team. You have a new head coach. You got a, rid of a lot of the old guys on your roster. But you've replaced them with younger guys that pretty much do the same thing. Where you can't shoot. You're not going to be lighting things up from behind the three-point arc. And there's the, you know, there's the ghost that's hanging over you. There's the great cloud that's hanging over you that could be a problem all year long. And that, of course, is Russell Westbrook. Who, whether you want to talk about it, his two points in 27 minutes the other night against the Clippers... Or yesterday, where he tried to play hero ball against the Trailblazers, and in the final 30 seconds, rather than drive the paint and and score on a an open dunk, he decides to pull up and, and shoot a layup that 
almost missed everything uh, hittable in the Staples Center. And yes, I'm still calling it Staples Center. I'm, I don't give a damn what they've renamed that place. But this is pretty much the same Lakers team that they had last year, just minus some age on it. And the one big change they made as far as the roster is concerned is bringing in Patrick Beverly. Other than that, you're relying on LeBron and AD to do everything every single night. And I've said before, LeBron should not have to play hero for this team every night anymore. You know that he's going to give it his all every single night he's out there. But you need to back off of the minutes on LeBron. You need to back off on the number of games that you play LeBron just so he makes it through the the entirety of this season and is not dealing with some kind of nagging injury in late February heading into March as it seemed to be the case with him every year with the Lakers. And Anthony Davis needs to step up and be the the leading focus offensively on this team. He needs to be the best player on this team, but it doesn't seem like he's capable of pulling that off, especially physically. But this Lakers team, you know, the way they're built, okay, maybe you could get away with it in the 90s where it was more roughhouse, more about defense. Uh, You could win games, you know, 93 to 89 uh, on most nights. But you're not going to be able to do that in this style of NBA, especially when you look around the Western Conference and you see, you know, the Clippers are back to full strength. You know, the Warriors are still the favorites. You've got these young studs on the Suns, the Grizzlies. You've got a emerging teams like the Timberwolves and Pelicans. It's not like the the West has taken steps back. It's just as difficult as it was before. And I look at the Lakers coming into this year, and I don't see any anything better than them just being a play-in team as we begin things here. Want to give some credit. Want to give a shout-out, of course, to the Philadelphia Phillies, who... You know, clinched their spot in the World Series yesterday. They're, they're it's amazing. They've they've gone a decade without being in the, the playoffs, and now they're back in the World Series. And you know, the analytics community probably looks at the Phillies and is not overly impressed with the way Rob Thompson manages that team. Not looking at them and saying that, oh, they are a team, you know, because you look at them and defensively, there's a lot of black holes there, especially in the corner outfield spots with the fact that Bryce Harper can only DH right now. But, you know, they just seem like a, a team on a mission, a team that realizes that, okay, we snuck into the playoffs as the seventh seed in the, or the sixth seed, excuse me, in the, National League. But you now that they have this us against the world mentality that they were able to overcome last year's champions in the Braves, overcome a Padres team that I think most people on paper had them winning this series in five or six games against the Phillies. They're getting 
great performances out of Zach Wheeler and just good enough starting pitching performances out of everyone else. And the bullpen has been mostly locked down. But when the time has come, the thunder in their bats has been there. And usually usually in the postseason, you don't see teams have this kind of power explosion, be able to carry over their their power from the regular season into the postseason. I mean, look at look at the Yankees as an example. But the Phillies, you know, even when they're down early in these games, they've been rallying back a lot with the home run ball. You now, whether it be Reese Hopkins, whether it be you know, yesterday Bryce Harper in the, the middle of the, the rain hits the as Joe Davis called it, the swing of his life, the biggest home run of his career to send them to the World Series. I mean, I'm watching that yesterday and I'm thinking, Bob Melvin's a great manager. What the hell is he thinking? Why is why is Josh Hader not in this game? But that's something he's going to have to think about all offseason long. But I'll, I'll tell you, with... The Phillies now in the World Series having to play the Astros, they've got my full support. And maybe it's bitter Yankee fan after watching the Astros uh, eliminate the Yankees for the fourth time in the last eight years. Or maybe it's just, you know, the Astros were not punished enough for what happened in 2017 that I don't want to see them win another championship. But I'm going to be pulling for you, uh, city of brotherly love. No. I'll never root for the Flyers or for the Sixers to win anything. But the friends of mine that live there that are Eagle fans and Philly fans, why not let them be happy for once? Now, a lot happier than I am sitting here melancholy about the Yankees, you know, downtrodden the fact that their season once again has come to an end. And there's decisions to make going forward here. Now, of course, the looming question for the next probably two months up until around Christmas time is the future of Aaron Judge. But I said before that change needs to be made. And I'm not talking about not re-signing Aaron Judge because if you look at this team right now, unless they hit on every single one of these young prospects that could come up next year, they're not anywhere as good as they were this year Um without Aaron Judge. He carried this team for the most part this year. But the big change in this team has got to be when it comes to general manager Brian Cashman. He's an impending free agent as well. And I I don't think he's going to be let go of his duties as Yankee general manager and not brought back. Although maybe a different voice after 25 years would be a good sign of change. You know, how waking up and realizing that Brian's way of doing things is not exactly working because they haven't been in the World Series since their last one in 09. And remember, they outspent the field to win that one. They've not developed players to the way that you thought they were going to when they had that great farm system five years ago and everyone was talking about the baby bombers. Gary Sanchez fell off a cliff. Uh, Greg Bird couldn't stay healthy. Glaber Torres is inconsistent. They didn't believe 
in Miguel Andujar after his shoulder injury. Clint Frazier was immature. So outside of Aaron Judge, they have not developed the position players like other teams that rival them that have been in their way and knocked them out of the postseason half. You've seen the Astros do that. You've seen them bring up this kid, Jeremy Pena, and you know, seemingly not miss a beat without Carlos Correa. You've seen them do it with Bregman, with you know, Jordan Alvarez. You've seen the Red Sox uh, do it with the likes of Xander Bogarts and, and others. But you haven't seen the Yankees can consistently bring up young players and then be fixtures with this team in the last 20 years outside of Aaron Judge. So that has got to change. You, I mean, you didn't want to trade any of these kids at the, the deadline, so let's see them next year. Let's see Volpe. Let's see Peraza. At some po- point next year, maybe we see Trey Sweeney at uh, him replace Josh Donaldson at third base because I I can't sit through another full year of Josh Donaldson as the third baseman of this team. Well, he could still field it a bit. He's he's a nothing at the plate. He is god-awful offensively and deserved all the boos that he got this past weekend. But the philosophy of this team has got to change. It's got to be stop living so much by the analytics of controlling this team. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Other teams use it as a guide and a reference and make it part of the decision-making. For the Yankees, it's the only decision-making. And when you're a team that has the third highest payroll in the sport, that should not be your live-and-die philosophy. You can't continue to live and breathe by waiting for the three-run homer. Because guess what? It barely ever came. You were lucky to get by the Guardians, and you never won a game against the Houston Astros. The Giants and the Jets should not have more wins this month than the New York Yankees. All right? This was embarrassing. This was a shameful way to go out. Add on to the shamefulness, all the whining, the complaining, the excuses that I heard, whether it was after game two when Judge's ball uh, didn't leave the ballpark and Boone's complaining about the roof being open and that the wind knocked the ball down or complaints about the weather. Enough. All right. Enough of the whining, enough of the complaining, enough of the damn analytics. Change your ways. Because your ways have not been working. And if you're not going to change, Hal Steinbrenner, bring in somebody that is going to change. Enough of the same old shit when it comes to this team. I I know you love Brian. I know he, he, listen, he has a Hall of Fame resume at, as a general manager. But at some point, you got to make a change just for change's sake. At some point, you got to look at him and say, either you change or I'm changing things. Because this cannot continue to go on. Your philosophy, your mindset is about not just winning championship, but winning championships. Well, how about winning one before doing that? We didn't build that mantra. 
You did. And even though you look back at the history of Hal's father, George Steinberg, and there's a lot of times that you look at and say, all right, it was good that George got suspended in the 90s because maybe that dynasty would not have happened if he stuck around. But he cared about winning. And I don't get that same feel that winning is as important to Hal. The bottom line for the Yankees, yeah, it's great to make money. Everyone loves to make money. But the bottom line should not be the only thing celebrated with the Yankees. All right? Is it too much to ask for to have at least one trip down the canyon of heroes once every five years? You've gone over a decade now. And if you keep up with the same mindset that you've had for this last decade, I don't see it changing anytime soon, especially not with the Astros here. And who knows what some of these other owners may do in the coming weeks and months to improve their odds. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, October 24th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a fun, safe, happy rest of your week, whatever you may be doing. Enjoy the World Series starting on Friday. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. And I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.